0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga-A to Fugazi. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss Burning Two from the 1989 Margin Walker EP is Paul Warham, a Fugazi fan just like you. Uh, hey, Paul, how's it going?
1: Hey, Ian. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, your Your previous guests have been just incredible. So to be a part of that really means everything to me.
0: Well, I'm very, I'm very glad you could participate. So, Paul, um, I wanted to ask you first of all about your relationship with Fugazi uh, on the whole. Do you want to start off at the beginning where you first heard them and how you got into them?
1: Um, well, it would probably begin all the way back in Boy Scouts. Uh, my, my friend Nick Tembro and I, when we were in fifth grade, uh, met an older Boy Scout named Tim Marcellus. He and this is 1989-ish, uh, he had like the Tony Hawk hair with the bangs and the limpy pajama pants that skaters used to wear at that time. And uh, every Thursday night after our Boy Scout meetings, Tim would practice in the parking lot with his no-nosed, uh, tail-only skateboard. And uh, we would watch him and just, we were hooked, you know. I mean, we saw skateboarding on TV and all that, but to see it in front of us and with such a cool older dude... You know, we were just like, whoa, what is this? And eventually Tim took us under his wing, not not as an older scout showing us knots, but as an older scout saying, Hey, check this out. This is Public Enemy. <laughs> um and we Nick and I are still friends to this day, and, and at that time in eighty-nine, we uh were just obsessed with skateboarding and music. Um that you know that quote by Ian Mackay about skateboarding, right? I have it written down here. It's Skateboarding is not a hobby, it's a sport. Skateboarding is a way of learning how to redefine the world around you and a way of getting out of the house, connecting with other people, and looking at the world through different eyes.
0: I so have I heard thought, that quote before. Yeah, what's that from?
1: Uh, it must have been an interview, but I know I read it somewhere once, so when I, when I was doing research for uh, this guest interview here, I, I looked up Ian McKay, uh skateboard. "Quote," and that's what I found. And it just feels so right, you know. I, I mean, even at at the age of forty three right now, I'll, I'll walk around the neighborhood and be like, "Oh yeah, I'll one eighty off that curb and three sixty kickflip over that manhole," you know, and <laughs> just walking around it, I just see the world in a different way. That's also, really cool. Um,
0: I I knew that you know skateboarding was so huge to Ian McKay early on. That's that's mm-hmm. a dimension of that I that I could never personally relate to with him. I never got into skateboarding myself. I did own a uh Ninja Turtles skateboard when I was a kid. It was it was like terrible. Like <laughs> I probably tried to learn to skateboard, but I maybe I could partially blame the skateboard itself for for me not ever learning. But uh, yeah, I, I think I always wanted to be a skater. I I sort of got wore airwalks and vans and the trapping of like the skater lifestyle. So I admired yeah. you guys but I know was never a participant <laughs> really
1: um, it's. I also love um, that skateboarders can be artists a lot of the time, because they are looking through that different lens. You know, um, as an art teacher, I love when skateboarders do their own graphics. Uh, it's just, it's a different way of thinking, like Ian said, and I, I love that. Um, so uh, Nick and I started getting deeper and deeper in the late 80s, early 90s with, with music. We, uh, we are obsessed with Public Enemy, and uh, we still have a debate to this day who... Uh, what album is better, Fear of a Black Planet or It Takes a Nation of Millions? And It Takes a Nation of Millions is the correct answer on that one, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this guy, Nick, that I keep um, mentioning, um, his name is Nick Tamburo, and he plays or played drums for Cassiotone for The Painfully Alone. Are are you familiar? And The Dead Science, which was with um, Jarek Bichoff and uh, Sam Mickens. And then they played with Daniel Johnston as their backup band, Maybe in Seattle. I think it was Seattle where they were backing up for him. Um, and also, which is really great, he transcribed um, number thirty-four of the thirty-three and a third series, the Nirvanas in Utero, by uh, Gillian G. Gar. So, and we've been friends forever. So I, I called him the other day. I was like, "Do you know your name is like neck is is like related to Nirvana? Because that's just incredible to me." He's like, "Oh yeah, I always forget that." And I thought, how do you forget something like that? <laughs>
0: <You> <laughs> what know? what do you mean Just, by you, he transcribed it?
1: Um well he either edited it or um the the author had it like in um like ideas in a tape recorder and he typed it out. You know oh, what I, I see. mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, okay. is that the right is that the right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, if right? somebody's okay. like
0: dictating and then somebody transcribes the whole thing. Interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So um by ninth grade, uh, you know, freshman year of high school, um I have a cousin who is a senior and some of her friends, Jeff Blehar and Trisha Combs were like amongst like the seniors. Um, they started making mixtapes for um, like for, for me and my friend, Nick and, and my cousin, Matt. And on those mixtapes were Black Flag and Husker du, Minor Threat, Pixies, Sebado. And, you know, that was the style at the time is making mixtapes. And I still have them to this day, actually, <laughs> And you will like this part. They're all in uh, alphabetical order by last name.
0: So. <laughs> hey, there you go.
1: Mixed, um, but there's mixtapes are such a great or, artifact
0: from from yeah that the relics era. of
1: my life for sure. You know, and it's um, not
0: it's it's a lost art form. Um, and it's yes. it's one that I just yeah I remember so viscerally creating mixtapes and how that worked, trying to get yeah. stuff off the radio, time it just right, hope the DJ wouldn't talk too long over the intro. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh, I remember the first time I did that, my, my younger brother and I, we put up a Fisher-Price tape recorder next to our alarm clock and got um, Amadeus by Falco. Remember that? Amadeus, Amadeus. Yeah. That was our first, first first time we hit record. Um, but yeah, those those mixtapes were like a portal into a whole universe of energy and messages. And, um which isn't unlike skateboarding, you know, like skateboarding is a whole universe of like, whoa, what is this? And it's a, it's a little rough, you know, it's a little like an outcast thing and not everyone's into it. So I feel like that it went hand in hand at the time. Um, but so as uh, high school went on, um, around 10th grade, uh, my friend Jeff came home from Cortland college and we would do one of our Syracuse trips. Cause I'm from Oneida, New York, which is between Utica and Syracuse. And, uh, we only had one car in the family, so my friends would would uh, schlep me around everywhere. <laughs> so we would we would go into Utica to go record store shopping, and, or and in and Syracuse to go record shopping. But we went to the Fayetteville Mall, and that no longer exists. There's a new mall there now, of course, and it was a record store in there. And it wasn't the last Unicorn, uh, which is a big Central New York record shop, but it could have been Record World. And at the end of an aisle uh, was. Uh, featuring Ian um, in on the kill taker. And I looked over at Jeff and I was like, Whoa, what is this? And he told me, Oh, that that's Ian from minor threats, new band. So I, I bought it. I threw it in my disc man. And for the whole summer, as I'm mowing lawns for $4 an hour, I, I just listened to it over and over and over. And, uh, especially, you know, when you're in 10th grade, smallpox champion and great cop are like, oh, it yeah. scratches your ear in that perfect way. But, um, because of those mixtapes that Jeff made me like of with Husker Du on them or the Pixies, um, it made me really appreciate like those slower songs. You know, it doesn't always have to be a mosh pit. It, you know what I mean? It's like those slower songs of Last Chance for a, a Slow Dance or "Rend Rendit. I, I, I learned to really appreciate those for sure.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like good lawn m- music to me.
1: Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just over and over again. Um and then of course I went back and I uh discovered like their their previous albums of course too. Oh, in fact, in uh 10th grade I heard no, so 11th grade I painted a picture of the band photo that's in the liner notes of In on the Killtaker. Are do you, are you familiar with it? It's a little greenish, it's a little yellowish, yeah. it's dark that painting is that i painted was horrible by the way so if i if i could find that painting it would be awesome just to see how just juvenile and incredibly horrible that picture is no no brush techniques no proper placement of facial features you know just trying <laughs> my <laughs> and speaking of um, which so,
0: you mentioned you were yeah. an art teacher and you had mentioned to me that Fugazi sort of plays into what you do right
1: well um so, well, recently I, I posted a remote learning lesson of photography because in the classroom, you know, there's, there can be upwards to 30 kids. Uh, if I gave a disposable camera or some sort of cell phone with a, with a camera on it to 30 kids, it would just be unruly. You know, just the management wouldn't really be ideal. So I thought, hey, this, the parents are home. They could guide the, their child into... Uh, learning about photography, not just selfies, you know, but really think about colors and, and whatnot. So what I did was I, I um, like all my lessons, if, if the standard calls for scissor techniques or blending colors, I find an artist that will represent that. Like scissor techniques could be Matisse and blending colors could be like Surratt with his pointillism. Uh, so I introduced uh, Bernice Abbott, a New York photographer, Ouija for his photojournalism and then I thought hey I'm going to do just you know give a piece of myself give a piece of my own hobbies and interests I'm going to do Glenn Friedman and I got a really good response a lot of a lot of parents said you know here's a picture of them scootering down the sidewalk or cars passing the house and they would capture that motion of like Glenn's skateboarding pictures of the 70s and early 80s or his live photos of the bad of the bad brains Um, but you know it's like it's I, I like doing that with, with students, to give them something a little more contemporary and a, and a piece of myself, too.
0: That's awesome. Shout out to Glenn Friedman, by the way. He has a book uh, for listeners who don't know, which is called Keep Your Eyes Open, the Fugazi yes. Photographs of uh, Glenn E. Friedman. Um, I, I own that. It's a great coffee table book to, uh, to have around if you're a fan of the band. So uh, yeah, check definitely. that out. It,
1: it was released on September third, 2007, 20 years after their first show, Fugazi's first show.
0: That's great trivia. That's the kind of trivia uh, that I bring to this podcast. I like
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I took notes. I, I wanted to, as a teacher, am I cheating on the final exam here? <laughs> Absolutely
0: not. Come prepared. <laughs> okay.
1: um, but when, after I say that I do have notes in front of me, it's all research of um, lyrics and names and dates of, of record releases. It's not, I, I didn't go on like uh, uh, geniuscom and see what other people have to say about burning too I, I definitely this is authentically my opinion so
0: okay well let's <laughs> jump Anything into else. it then um, we're talking about burning 2. I do have mm-hmm. a couple of introductory remarks which um, uh, th- well this is a statistic that you might not have from your research uh, let's just see um, as you may know if you've been listening to the show I've done some like data analysis of the fugazi live series uh, which you know, basically, I have this sort of spreadsheet of all the uh, that represents all the songs and all the concerts played there, um, which is like apparently some show, Fugazi shows, are missing from that archive. Uh, but I think it's the most complete data set that we have. Um, and the the thing that shocked me, I was I was looking it up, I was trying to find out which songs were played most frequently, and the song "Burning" and the song "Burning 2 were both mm-hmm. played the same number of times live which I was like, oh. I was like, I can't believe it. Is this is this correct? So I double-checked it. Oh. It looks like it. Yeah, both played 212 times live, uh, according to the research that I've done, at least. Um, and
1: Burning is the fourth song on Side A, the last song on Side A, and Burning 2 is the third song, last song on Side A of Margin Walker. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> so both last songs of Side A as well.
0: And I also thought I'd say, um, before we jump into really talking about the song, Uh, In in our last episode on burning, uh, we we discussed some other notable songs about burning or fire. And I thought, uh, just to kick things off, I would say my other top 10 most notable songs about burning or fire that we didn't mention to get those out of the way. Here we go. Number one, Burning (laughs) Down the House by Talking Heads. Number two, Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil. Yes. We've got number three, I'm on Fire by Springsteen which I like, very understated little one. We've got Play With Fire by the Rolling Stones. You 90s kids might remember Fire, Water, Burn by the Bloodhound Gang.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) We've got Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Burn the Witch by Radiohead. Fire and Rain by James Taylor. Bring it back to some punk rock with Forest Fire by the Dead Kennedys. And of course, we've got the song simply entitled Burn from the Hamilton soundtrack.
1: So there you go I I love that you mentioned uh, James Taylor That's my mom's favorite Like 100 uh, James Taylor Is my mom's Fugazi For sure
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Burning 2 then What's the first thing That you'd like to say About this song Where should we start here
1: Well um, ju- I think one thing that hits me so much is that, you know, you just did birthday po- or pff, I'm sorry, the last song that I heard you, uh, from the podcast was birthday pony. Okay. And I-, I learned so much from that, um, through, through that perspective. Um, but for burning too like, it was totally different than what I thought or interpreted, which is fine. You know, everyone interprets it th- them on their own, in their own way. But, um, I think that. Burning Two's lyrics are not up for interpretation at all. It's a little more I mean,
0: straightforward, which can right, be... Right. I, sometimes I'm is, thankful for that on this podcast, because occasionally you get a song that's like, what on earth is this about?
1: Yeah, I, I, what I also liked about um, Birthday Pony is your discussion of like how you thought it was so different than your guests as well, you know? And I, you know, that's just something that's special too. But Brendan's drumming throughout this whole uh, song is almost vocal, in my opinion. He's almost like the third voice, because, of course, Guy's vocals are throughout it, and Ian's, of course. But um, I feel like Brendan's drumming, it's, it's like a, uh, the punctuation, you know? Um, so it starts off with a single instrument, and if I could go back to the Pixies, just to make the full circle of uh, Pixies' references. <laughs> it, uh, oh, there's Pixies. one that I
0: forgot. The Pixies had a song called Dig for Fire. I didn't oh, mention that sweet. one.
1: Mark it down. Damn it. Okay. Okay.
0: Top (laughs) Um, 11 songs. All right. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Nice. Good one. Um, So a lot of Pixie songs started with a single instrument. Um, Burning Two starts with guitars. You know, I I wonder how many more Fugazi songs do start with a single instrument, you know?
0: Yeah. It seems like that's a trick that they did pretty often is just starting it off with a single instrument and then uh, gradually the band comes in one by one.
1: Yeah. And then Brennan's drums come in like this firework popping off. You know, he's like, hey, wake up. Hey, oh, they <laughs> here I explode explode am.
0: explode in like a machine gun. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, and then even at the end of the song, um, just to continue with talking with the drumming, where it's like, do it, do it now, do it. And then they, and you can almost hear the drums or the cymbals. That's the last you hear, like, do it. And then it just fades as if like... Now it's your responsibility. We just put this song in your lap. Are you going to be active and, and help the environment? Or stop just sitting there and making up excuses, like actually go out and do something?
0: Speaking of drums, I mean, uh, th- I think this song is a great example of what a good rhythm guitarist Ian is also. Because I guess in this song, it's just Ian playing guitar, right? There's no gi. Um, so it's... and. and sometimes you know gee is a great guitarist but sometimes if he's not on the track it's easier to focus on what ian is doing and just admire because it's just sort of him joe and brendan locking in and it's this this just great rhythm uh song. yeah it's a funky groove yeah it's yeah. a real funky groove
1: the harmonizing between gee and ian uh You know, to like a a trained musician might not be pleasant to their ears, but to me, who, you know, I'm I'm not a musician at all, it's just awesome. Like the monotone, like uh, Ian saying, you know, anytime but now, and then Guy's going, anytime but now, you know, just right over it. It just sounds, you know, it sounds like Fugazi to me. It sounds perfect, of course, and I'm sure it was done on purpose, yeah, intentional.
0: I was thinking the same thing. It's not something that they really did a lot as much as they have like vocal interplay, um Ian and Guy. that's sort of harmonizing almost. Yeah, you're right. It's it's not like bang on sort of Beach Boys harmonizing, but maybe maybe more it's more so like that in this song than anything else they've done. Um mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, I I would have to think about that, but I don't think it's very common to, for them to do it exactly like that uh in the catalog. Right.
1: And, and they talk about time, obviously, right there, right on the first line there. Um, and then, of course, Waiting Room talks about time running down a drain. And then your episode number six, was it with Aaron Nelson? Mm-hmm. T- uh, with um, Bad Mouth, um, it, Time is Now, it's Running Out. I wonder, again, here's a question for the listeners, but uh, out of 13 songs, how many more speak of time? And I wonder if that was a theme that was also intentional.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's so interesting because Ian was such a young guy at the time, but it seems like a topic that was really top of mind for him was that he, he just sort of felt the, the pressure of, of time running out and, and him having a limited amount of time to do all the stuff that he really wanted to do in life.
1: And in his early twenties, yeah, <laughs> time yeah. is running out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope he looks back and is satisfied with how he used his time because uh, oh, of course it yeah. certainly <laughs> seems like he accomplished a lot to me.
1: <laughs> but yeah. um, going but also that any time but now anywhere but here anyone but me. It's you know with that monotone and then Gee's voice, you know E and N Gee's together. It's almost like a subconscious ghostly whisper saying like any time but now. Like these are your inner thoughts. And then it's just Ian's voice saying, "I got to think about my own life," and it's repeated for a second time too. But it's it's almost like these these inner thoughts are these demons or ghosts that are saying, "Like no, no, not now, not me. This has nothing to do with me." And then you say out loud, "I got to think about my own life," you know. It's like somebody having an argument with himself. You mean? Yeah. How did you interpret it?
0: Yeah, I was. I I, I don't think I thought about it from that angle, but that's that's very interesting that you'd say that. I I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was just mainly focused on those, yeah, those first four lines. I mean, yeah, do you feel that- as attacked by this song as I do?
1: Of course, of yeah. course. It's like,
0: I, they're demanding,
1: do it, do yeah. it now. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs>
0: Go out there. I Probably anyone who cares about the environment feels like that. Uh, and everyone is supposed to feel like that. That's kind of the point of the song. But yeah, um, yeah I, I do like that. But it's hard to listen to the song without feeling like, Ah oh, man, what am I, what am I doing to help? Right, and <laughs> right, just, right. Um, which is
1: a good self-reflection. It, it makes you really consider what have you done for your community. It's a pro. It's a pro, like active, active song. You have to get up and be active. And yeah,
0: yeah. And in the larger context, of course, this song definitely seems like it's mostly about the climate. Um, but just those first four lines, um, on their own, you can apply that to any kind of, you know, political social activism. Oh, totally. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say
0: when I, when I think about this song or when I'm not even consciously thinking about it, but those lines, that's just what pops into my head. Singing a little jingle to myself as I do some chore, um, I'll sing those, just those four lines of this song. So in that way, they certainly succeeded in, uh, in getting that subconsciously into their listeners' minds, or at least it, it worked for me.
1: Yeah. Like a chant. It's like a chant, you know, that, that, Maybe people who aren't as active or apath- the apathy chant you know anytime but now, anywhere but here, anyone but me, you know yeah why why does this have to happen now, which really speaks to uh presently like contemporary what's happening it's it's you you spoke with uh Chris Richards about um our, our argument, how that almost was like a prediction of the wars that did not need to happen. I almost think, like, this is a prediction, too. Like, who was talking about global warming in 88? And sure, there was Greenpeace and things like that, but but not as, as like, a daily conversation. You know, it, this is almost, like, before the time where talking about climate change was really, you know, in in a, a daily conversation.
0: Yeah, so I actually, I was looking this up. Um, so a couple of interesting things that happened around that time is uh, the... In- the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, was created in 1988 by the United Nations Environment Program and the World Meteorological Organization, um, and to this day, like that's the that's the body. It continues to release extremely alarming reports about climate change. Um, mm. So, so that happened about that time. Um, also, I was looking up some stuff about Al Gore, who. Um, he He's the first one who held a congressional hearing on climate change, which happened in 1976. But also he wrote a notable editorial in the Washington Post uh, in, uh, in May of 1989, which is the hmm. month before the Margin Walker EP was released, um, where he huh. said he argued that the f- climate change and the fate of the earth, uh, uh, in a larger sense, is the number one national security issue, which yeah. which is something that he you know, always continued uh, yeah. to and so I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the argument when it comes to that and just meditating on, man, I think Al Gore losing to George W. Ugh. Bush 20 years ago might be one of the worst things that's happened in modern history. Yeah. Because think about right now, as we speak in in the middle of 2020, it's, you know, the, the COVID-19 epidemic is happening. The George Floyd related protests yeah. are in yeah. high gear around the country. I It is. It's never felt like we've been farther from solving the climate crisis right now, right? Like so right. much other terrible stuff is happening. Uh, that man, our eye is really off the ball about this yes, huge yes. issue. Not that the other issues aren't important. No, but, of course man. not.
1: No, but but would they have be as as uh, s- strong issues as they are if if he you know was in the White House? He was elected, but if if it, if he. Was in the White House, yeah. yeah,
0: and of course that relates to the argument too, because uh, if he were in the White House, probably we wouldn't have uh, plunged into the Iraq War and killed right. hundreds right. of thousands of of people. The Patriot et cetera, Act. Et I
1: mean, the list goes on. It's it's so funny how that's just for me, like being so old, forty three or whatever. Like I think of the year two thousand as like, oh, that was just like five years ago, you know. But so so much has happened, and and a lot of it is like these laws where you're like, well, how could we ever turn around the Patriot Act? How could we, like, abolish it and, like, maybe not have the TSA when you go to the airport be all over you and just violate so many laws and just, it's just, uh, I'm not into it at all. It's, um, yeah,
0: yeah, that, that might just, for me, that might be the turning points of modern history, <laughs> at least, Agreed. Agreed. at least just from my, like, from solipsistic Iran. point of view for my own life. Like, that was the first election that I voted in. Um, and so on. So uh, it's. I voted for
1: Ralph Nader during that. One. Oh, I don't you know did? if I'm part of the problem. <laughs> Damn you! Uh, it's all your
0: fault, Paul. <laughs> it
1: is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where were we? I wanted to. Uh, um. Oh yeah, the we got to put it out. Put it out. Got to put it out. This gee, and then the sky is burning. Ian comes in right, and they repeat that a few times. It. Re- it again going back to Public Enemy. It. It reminds me of like gee at his his top flavor flave form you know where i hear that influence throughout the song um and it's not call and response it's more just two vocals going back and forth um ian with the message and then and then gee as like the relief you know just uh, uh, ian's very very straight lace and then gee comes off with these you know these voices or or whatever and it do you agree with that? Like he does, Guy, Guy do, does do the voices like from time to time. He slides in and out of the French accent or even the <laughs> language he'll, he'll put some words in. He rolls his R's, you know.
0: <laughs> I do agree. Um, and also somebody else who agrees, I solicited some comments from social media for this episode. Um, a listener named Terrence Warburton says for him it's a favorite from the early period, no doubt. Probably the best example of Guy as the hype man in my opinion. Yes! So there you go. You and Terrence All on right, the same Terrence.
1: page. <laughs> yes. Good. That's awesome. Um, we also um,
0: let's let's see. We have Ryan Christopher Egolf, Egolf, uh, who says, "What a call to action! Definitely one of the earlier songs that put its hooks into me. I'd never claim to be great at unpacking lyrics, but these seem wonderfully upfront and deliver a powerful totally. message. Love the back and forth vocals uh, and right, Brandon and right. Joe locking in so solid. Perfect. So yeah, there you go. We've got a lot of agreement there. So the line, "We are obsessed with variety," uh, as yes. something. I man, I wish I could put my finger on it. Where I was listening to somebody talking about that recently, how American consumerism yeah. is uh, like—it it is definitely that—and the question of whether mm-hmm. whether it really makes us happy, right? There, like there's there are a lot of countries where, for example, you almost ever only see one kind of car. Um, yes, yes, and you know that's. In America we have a lot more choice. But are, does that really make it like if the difference between getting a Toyota and buying a, a Nissan like is it? Right. Do we
1: what color do you want the sunroof? Do, how many airbags do you want? Yeah. Do you want a CD changer? So in 2004 there was a book called The Paradox of Choice: Why More Is Less, How the Culture of Abundance Robs Us of Satisfaction and that's by Barry Schwartz. Hmm. The Paradox of Choice. And he talks about that how you know, we we talk about anxiety and depression so much more now. And this song's from 2000 or 1988, where, you know, we, he, Ian says, we are all filled with anxiety. Well, who was saying how they felt, you know, in 1988, it was almost like a sign of weakness, you know, like, oh, I'm depressed, you know, or whatever, where now anxiety is like an everyday word. Um, again, going back to the prediction of, they're just so far ahead of their time when it comes to social issues i think um
0: yeah um i i wanted to mention this so this the song was released um on the 1989 margin walker ep but you're right it is from 1988 it looks like uh according to my uh resources here the first time they played it was august 1st 1988 uh at dc space um Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, okay, there you go.
1: I think I just shouted out 1988, not realizing if it was 88 or
0: 89. You are correct. <laughs> it was written way back then, apparently. Um, and uh, speaking of also of the um, obsessed with variety line, Fugazi is sort of a demonstration of going against that, it just simply in that they always played the same instruments, right? They're not one of these bands that would cha- have a new guitar for every song like you see sometimes. They, they would just like right. have one instrument play it through the entire set yeah they would they would have i guess probably a backup guitar just in case there was an equipment malfunction but yeah they just threw the not only through the entire sets but through most of their career like there i guess a couple of times you see them switching from one to another um i guess sometimes joe played a jazz bass instead of a stingray
1: so i was going to ask you about um world would not survive And, and for some reason I was, I'm looking at the lyrics and I was like, world would not survive. Like the use of the word would, you know, um, and and why isn't it the world will not survive? You know, if, if you keep consuming without consequence, the world will not survive. Why is it world would not survive? I wonder why would was the choice. How, how did you interpret that? Or did you think of it at all?
0: I just sort of assumed it's, it's like not maybe not purposeful and it's a, a slight grammatical inaccuracy, to be honest. I guess, would is that, well, would that be the subjunctive mood? Like the, um, just the possibility that the world would not survive rather than the, the more certain verb of will, will not survive. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think I would, uh, I would say that anxiety that this world will not survive, but yeah, I guess would is implies more of that it's a possibility.
1: It like you said it is it is a lecture song. They are lecturing us like, "Hey, wake up. Get out there, get moving." And the song makes you move. It's it's definitely hard to sit still like I said before. It it's it's a mover.
0: Another line I wanted to point out um uh, speaking of lecture, "The world is not our facility. Uh we have a responsibility, etc." Um mm-hmm. that's interesting in that so in the political conversation around taking action on climate change this is another place where the ever helpful Christian right has sort of inserted their uh two cents and uh, and there's an argument against that from like a, a traditional Christian reading of the Bible um I think this may be the first time in the podcast that I'm going to quote from the Bible uh but here we go um yes. in Genesis 128 and God blessed them and God said to them, uh, talking about Adam and Eve, I'm sure, uh, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there there is a an argument that has been made from a Christian point of view that, uh, in fact, the world is our facility. Um yeah. and, and we, we can treat have dominion it like over a it. <laughs> yeah, we can subdue yeah. it. We can do whatever we want to it. It's here to serve us and cater to our needs. Uh, um, so this song is standing sort of directly opposite to that particular yes. interpretation yeah. of the Bible.
1: Right. Which, you know, we're talking about interpretations of the Bible too. Is there I, I've heard of one like where it's they talk about like uh, not eating meat in some some verse of the Bible too, you know. So it's it's interesting how you can interpret the Bible different ways, and people have, and it's dangerous, of course, um, to an extent. And uh, we're interpreting the lyrics of Fugazi too, you know, uh, yeah. to our own. Which, and people can say, like, I saw Fugazi, and it was a spiritual, you know.
0: Yeah, this feeling. is our and Bible, man.
1: I to- I'm so happy you said that. I didn't want to like <laughs> come off as like the fanatic fan. That's bananas. But yeah, I, you know, as someone who. You know, you need guidance in your life. I mean, I have wonderful parents and uh, incredible friends and, and a, a wonderful partner for 10 years. And, and we, uh, yeah, I mean, every once in a while, like if you hear like someone that you look up to so much with these wonderful values and this wonderful way of just being kind to everyone and, and the earth and, and looking at things that are oppressive and calling them out through an artistic art form. You know, when, when you when you ask me to rate this song, I, I I have it. I'm all good to go with that. But I almost <laughs> thought, like, you know, there's... um I don't know if you're into uh, rap music or whatever, because I was bringing up Public Enemy, but there's a new album out by Run the Jewels. And yes, I, I got
0: it on day one.
1: Yeah. Oh, me too. When it came out on Wednesday instead of Friday, as a surprise, I thought, you know, I don't usually go to Pitchfork, you know, unless it's for, for a band that I absolutely, like, am loving. Um, because... How, like with a band like that, where it's not just music, Fugazi is not just music, it's a, it's a philosophy, it's an education, how how do you rate an education, how do you rate philosophy, or a way of life even, it is a way of life, and people live their life by the Bible, and I live by, I don't live my life by Fugazi, but we have a common goal, we have, and and to hear the music of Fugazi is like giving me fresh batteries to go on throughout my day, being a kind person, and helpful to people. Um, and going back to Boy Scouts, all, the whole Boy Scout law <laughs> trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind.
0: <laughs> well, if you're ready to rate things, let me throw in one more thing before we go there, yeah. um, which is to step away from the uh, climate change, global warming interpretation for a second. Um, the one thing that this song always reminds me of is so there's an author named Sherwood Anderson he is one of the maybe sort of uh, authors from the early 20th century, who's, who's faded a little bit into history. And he's not now uh, as well known as as your Ernest Hemingway's, etc. Um, but he was really influential in among authors and um, uh, among, you know, in modernist literature. So uh, he wrote this novel called Winesburg, Ohio, that's sort of a, uh, I don't know if it's properly called a novel or maybe it's a collection of short stories that all intertwine with each other in this town. Um, but the the story from that collection that always stuck with me is called A Man of Ideas. Um, it's just sort of about this interesting, eccentric character, Joe Welling. And um, I thought I'd read a relevant excerpt here, uh, which is just sort of to illustrate the kind of person he was. He's like um, he accosts this reporter from a newspaper And it says, Joe Welling crowded the young reporter against the front of the feed store. He appeared to be lost in thought, rolling his eyes about and running a thin nervous hand through his hair. A smile spread over his face and his gold teeth glittered. You get out your notebook, he commanded. You carry a little pad of paper in your pocket, don't you? I knew you did. Well, you set this down. I thought of it the other day. Let's take decay. Now, what is decay? It's fire. It burns up wood and other things. You never thought of that? Of course not. This sidewalk here, and this feed store, the trees down the street there, they're all on fire. They're burning up. Decay, you see, is always going on. It doesn't stop. Water and paint can't stop it. If a thing is iron, then what? It rusts, you see. That's fire, too. The world is on fire. Start your pieces in the paper that way. Just say in big letters, the world is on fire. That will make them look up. Wow. End quote. uh, Wow. I read that in college at some point, and you know for these these 20 years later um it's still with me that i was just amazed by that quote um so that's another way to think of this song i guess
1: yeah for sure yeah how it's it's everything's burning and it's decaying
0: yeah Uh, yeah just another way to look at things (laughs) absolutely well with that said let's talk
1: ratings This is always the hard part for all of your guests that you've had. Uh, So I initially did 3.5, but um, I I really thought about this. Like, of course, you know, this is important to me. Um, The lyrics are just so spot on. They're not heavy with interpretation or poetry. It's more, uh, it's just like you said, like a lecture, like straight on, like do this. In fact, you know, the song at the end says do it now. Uh, But um, it's. I, the music uh is it moves people it, it and that's what the lyrics want you to do is move and so i am bringing it up from a three point five to a four just for the message of course, yeah,
0: I'm more vacillating myself between like a three point five and a three um just because Fugazi has so many great th- songs i right. think this might be a little more down the middle in my book um i guess one thing that i forgot to say about the music that i think is interesting is you know in the verses it has this sort of bouncy you know funky i think you called it um major key feel and then there's there's sort of a dramatic shift to the chorus where it's all of a mm-hmm. sudden it sounds like maybe maybe a minor tonality i didn't really work out on the guitar what they're doing but it sounds yeah definitely more of a minor key, menacing kind of tonality to it, um, which it, and it's unexpected. It doesn't sound like the chorus is going to is going to go there. So mm-hmm. um, that that is a nice little aspect of it. So um, yeah, given given that part, uh, you know Ian's excellent rhythm guitar work, the the parts of the song that sort of stick in your head and rattle around and yeah. remind you and prod you on to try to at least think about what you're doing to make change in the world um i'll i'll, I'll do a little bump and i'll say 3.5 for me it sounds like okay. we're, we're in a similar range i think on this one
1: right right yeah they all can't be five right i mean they could but
0: <laughs> speaking of which what would you say what's a five star fugazi song for uh. you
1: so my, um, I didn't finish my story about like high school and stuff. It just was going to go on and on about like how Fugazi was in my life and this and that and the shows that I've seen and, and whatnot um, throughout like college and, and stuff. But um, for my high school yearbook quote, I quoted, uh, shut the door. I broke the surface so I could breathe. I closed my eyes so I could see. <laughs> so that was my, my senior quote. Uh, from Shut the Door. And it's always been a favorite of mine. Um and I'm not necessarily into jam bands at all, but like you said in a previous episode of yours, um, they do jam out on that song as as you see for the first song of the instrument soundtrack or the instrument documentary film. Um and that is just so electrifying when they're going back and forth with the guitar like not just the guitars, but the whole band just ugh you you know what I'm talking about right? yeah they
0: they they oh, have this whole rhythm wonderful. with each other. It's like an organism, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a great one
1: yeah
0: uh let's talk plugs Never
1: mind, what's the seven?
0: if you have any um where can listeners reach you? Do you have any sort of projects that you're working on that you want people to check out anything like that
1: well, uh since remote learning is still up in the air for september i'm I'm not doing anything um with art at the moment but we're just trying to figure out like what school is going to look like in a few months um so that's really what's been on my plate is how i'm going to adjust from there uh, and it looks like it's a possibility um there like we're just not going to be teaching art or things like that until this clears we're going to just help out classroom teachers with smaller groups of kids but you know it changes all the time so um but usually my my art medium is uh poetry or pottery and um like collaging mixed media if i wanted to be cooler and say mixed media sounds better but <laughs> collaging mostly like cut and paste i love doing things like that um uh but i don't have a, a facebook I, I have an instagram and you can reach me at p warham it's just p-w-a-r-h-a-m if you want to talk or check out um the many posts i have throughout my instagram account of uh fugazi memorabilia like posters or i have um and a couple of the early lyric sheets that they would pass out during their first few shows, um, oh, wow. they would pass out lyric sheets to their audience, and that's like one of my, one of my prized possessions of Fugazi, Fugazi things that I own. But I, I do have to find that, that crazy portrait of them that i did in 11th grade which just looks probably horrible i can't wait to find that that's gonna be great i
0: i did have a look at your instagram but i think i i didn't see that uh, lyric she won. so
1: i'm gonna have to go back in and and look okay i'll take you i'll take you in that for sure so you can see it thank you
0: yeah I'd, i'd like to see that well great um and as for me as always you can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com and you can join the Facebook group The Alphabetical Fugazi and tell us what you think about today's song. I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing by you. Until then, keep your eyes open.